you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to John chapter 9. And uh, Jesus <clears throat> is talking to us about all, all sorts of different topics through the first nine chapters of, of John. And um, <clears throat> we haven't quite dealt with maybe something as, as heavy as he speaks about and kind of where we're going to go this morning. Last week, if you were there, we, uh, if you were here with us last week, we talked about what it means to be in the world but not of the world. What does it mean to be discerning if we know that Satan and, 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 and sin and, and brokenness is around us? How do, we, how do we function in this world? And so uh, the next kind of um, situation we have, moving from John 8 to John 9, um, walking with Jesus, John tells us this story about a healing, Right? Uh, tells a story about Jesus performing a miracle, and it's 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 astounding what Jesus does. But I, I want to get into um, kind of something that's a question that that lies underneath this whole entire section here. Um, so this is starting uh, John chapter nine, verse one. Um, Jesus says, or John says, as he went along, Jesus he saw a man blind from birth. I just want to stop here and just say, when you see somebody with a condition, when you see somebody with a physical condition, an ailment in their, on their body, in their body, when you see somebody dealing with that type of pain, um, what is your first thought about that situation? I mean, what, I mean, what do you do with that when you see someone who um, comes back from a war with one leg, um, when you see someone who loses whatever, um, maybe, maybe they have cancer or um, some debilitating condition. Here they're walking along. And his disciples ask this question, and this to me is so, um, the implications of this question of what I do in my life when I see people hurting. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. I mean, think about the implications of that sentence. Why in the world would you use that? Why would the disciples use that, that language? What? What is the underlying belief that they would even say to Jesus that? Uh, wait, wait. Who, who was it? Who sinned? Whose fault? His parents? Or was it his fault? That he was born blind. Neither this man, Jesus says, nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, and this is unbelievable, Jesus, he spit on the ground. He made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told them, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some, some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. 
Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. How do you deal with suffering? Because that's what I want to ask. How do you address pain or hurt in your life? I think it's very, very important. It's very formative. Because I think some of us can look either on one side or the other. And and a Christian, I believe, can come at it with a quiet power. Right? I think we can come at pain and suffering with reflective confidence. We can do that. But here's what some of us do. Um, we we want to we want to say you know what um, everything everything is it's really not that bad I mean come on it's good no I mean everything will be great we'll just tie I'm going to try to tie a neat little bow on it and say it really doesn't hurt I mean it can't be that bad we'll, we'll have more faith and things will be great right and that that helpful to do that to live in that world I I I can do that in different areas of pain and hurt in my life. And then there's others of us that say, okay, well, I'm definitely not going to be that person, right? That's Pollyanna, and I will not be that. Because life is hard, dadgummit. And when I saw the first time, you know, that rite of passage, when you see the bumper sticker that says, life is hard, then you die. And you go and buy it, right? And you put that, right? You put that on the back of your car. You put that... Um, up somewhere you can see it and you believe that is it. That is the truth, right? Well, so many times what happens is you become the cynic, right? You become the angry cynic or, hey, I'm going to be the happy, clappy, everything's going to be fine. Uh, pretend it really doesn't hurt that bad. And we're, we're free as Christians to look at it in a different way. You know, think about these you know, on Palm Sunday a few weeks ago when these Coptic Christian, this little four-year-old, this picture of this little four-year-old that was uh, blown up because uh, the ISIS, you know, hated Christians. And so, you, I mean, what do you do with that pain and suffering? Like, wh- why does that happen? I mean, is it the little girl's fault? I mean, she was four. Is it... Uh, it's always somebody else's fault. It's my parents' fault, right? Or is it my fault? What should I do? How do you reconcile pain? And so, are you going to be this romantic idealist? Or are you going to be the angry cynic? Because I think the question is, you know, okay, what do I do? Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And I think what we see here... In this is there are two false understandings of suffering that I think I can and maybe you can struggle with. And I just want to call it two tracks here that you can take. It's the anger track or it's the guilt track. When you deal with pain or suffering in your life, you can, be, you can go down the angry track. Okay, this is where I'm going to go to reconcile everything. Or I'm going to use, I'm going to use the, guilt, the guilt track. The angry track goes like this. Was it his parents who did it to him, right? Blame it on the parents. That's a good way, right? <laughs> parents, we have this done to us a lot, right? Or we do this to our parents a lot. If I'm hurting, if I'm suffering, somebody out there is what? It's there to blame. I have to find somebody to be angry at. And, and, and I'll blame it, uh, ultimately, I'll blame it on uh, the parents. You can blame it on God. 
God, why is my life this way? I see a lot of other people who are far less deserving of this than me. Why in the world would you let this happen to me? Because when you begin to do that, when you begin to blame others, right, it's always out there. And you can ride that. And the thing about anger is it's a power emotion, right? You don't feel weak when you're angry. You feel strong. And it's easy to be that. And it's easy to look out there and say, hey, you know what? It's them. It's her. It's, it's you know, pops, if you wouldn't have done that. Mom, if you would have done this. If, you know, it's God, if you would have. But the other thing that happens in that, in that kind of blaming track is what happens when we do this ideologically to groups of people? You not hear that in the world all the time? If it wouldn't be for this group of people in the world who believe this, you know what? My life would be a lot better. If they had my, my ideals and my ethics and my morals, it would be right. But there are those people out there and they need to be done away with. And you see this historically when people begin to attribute that to certain ethnicities, right? And, you know, and then horrible things happen. But... Shoot, we can do it all the time politically. It's, it's those people. It's, it's those people who, who do this. If people would just simply work hard, right? Work hard and get their stuff done, then boom, it'd be great. Or if, 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 if all those people would just do things different and we become angry people, the angry track. We, it, it's all their fault. Flip of that is this. Maybe this man was born blind because he sinned. Did God look into the future and see your sin and my sin and say, you know what, you deserve to have pain and suffering in your life because you suffer and it's your fault. And man, how many times have you thought that? You look at your life and you see the actions that you've, you've committed, the things that you've done, and you think, man, I deserve this. I, you know what, I've... I've uh, I tried to reconcile this. I tried to put it on other people. But when, I come, when it comes down to it, I made that decision. And you know what? I deserve this pain and hurt and suffering. And I absolutely cannot stand myself. I hate myself. I mean, I was in youth ministry for 10 years. And how many times did I have someone come into my office saying, Frank, you know what? If I would have gotten better grades, my parents wouldn't have fought Right? They wouldn't have fought at all. If I would have been that athlete that my dad wanted me to be or my mom wanted me, they wouldn't have fought about me and I wouldn't have been a disappointment if I would have done this and then they wouldn't have gotten a divorce. It is my fault. I mean, it's always seemed like they fought about me and I couldn't put it together. And next thing you know, you begin to blame what? You begin to blame yourself and you, and you follow that guilt track. So which, what do you lean when you deal with suffering, when you deal with pain, do you tend to blame others and say, you know what, it's their fault. If they wouldn't have done that, I'm writing a letter. They did this. That teacher did that. My kid won't do this. Or, man, it's, I am, uh, I'm a dirty, rotten scoundrel, and that's really all there is to it. And that's the way I need to go do, uh, kind of deal with the suffering that I've brought on my life. And I will feel guilty for the rest of my life. It's the scarlet A that I wear. It's just what it is. And, you know, the thing is, is that when you begin to take that, you know, that guilt track, if you take that, um, that it's, it's you do it, it's all about you, flip it. Because if you do everything right, right, 
if you, ever, if you do everything good, there's more of a conservative idea, ideology that will say that. Not, well, if you do things right, then you will be healthy and you will be wealthy. If you work really hard, then nothing bad will generally happen to you. And when you see your prosperity contrasted against others' struggle and pain and suffering, you begin to think, well, if you would just follow me and do what I do, you, you would be better off. That's, if you want to stop your pain and suffering, yeah, watch us. Watch, and it's all so simplistic. And um, it's, it's all too easy. And the gospel says, no, no, no. Jesus says, and he reacts to the anger track, and he reacts to the guilt track, and he says, you know what? Here's the deal. Um, it's neither. Jesus says, no, it wasn't his parents. No, it wasn't him. Um, did this man sin or did his parents sin? Is it his fault or is it somebody else's fault? And Jesus says, neither. You know, Christians are always going to be accused of having simplistic or pat answers for things. And when you read the Bible, if you actually read the Bible, you'll see that is not the case at all. Jesus Christ's words and his answers to suffering are not too simple. Think about this in Luke 13. The same issue comes up where people say to Jesus this. Jesus, have you heard about the tower, right? The tower that fell down in another town and it killed a bunch of people. Have you heard about that, Jesus? It was a horrible tragedy. This tower falls on a group of people. And Jesus, uh, now Jesus, they asked him, were those people worse sinners than others? Is that why the tower fell on them? That's the same question. The same question that's being asked here. What does Jesus say? He says this, he says, no, but repent, lest ye, you, likewise perish. I mean, a a turning of the tables there. Jesus says, no, of course, they weren't worse sinners than you. Therefore, what? Therefore, you should be very glad there are no towers falling on you, and maybe you better look up. (laughs) What? I mean, are you kidding me? He, what does Jesus do? He analyzes my presupposition, my underlying belief, my underlying belief of why I would even ask this question. He comes and he says, when you ask why does God allow all this evil and suffering, there's a premise underneath that. That's what he's saying to you and to me. When you ask that question, disciples, Westtowner, when you look at your life and you ask Jesus, God, why is this happening in my life? What is it? Something I did? Something my parents did? I want to know. I want to know why. Do you see what you're assuming in that? Do you see what I'm assuming in that? When I get mad at God or I begin to feel overly guilty about things, we, begin to, we, we, we should begin the sentence by saying, God, I assume that you owe me a comfortable life. I assume That's my underlying assumption. God, if you made me, you owe me a comfortable life. And so it's just obvious that I'm going to ask the question then, why does this evil and suffering exist? Because my life isn't comfortable anymore. Amen? No one said amen after that. That's hard. Like, but... Do we not, in so many different ways, and so many different postures of worship, as Paul is teaching us, 
when we come to the Lord, part of that is, man, we just think we deserve a comfortable life. But if you look at that for a second, right, just look at why you would say that to God. You examine that premise for one second. Here we have God who's created you and me, and he sustained every second that we've been in this building. He has sustained us. He has sustained the laws of the universe, the, the laws of carbon dioxide and oxygen for, for the maybe, what, 45 minutes that we've been in this room. Some others of us, 35 late, later people. Just kidding. But, you know, um, he has sustained us, and here you have God, and therefore, um, he has asked you. He has asked you to do different things. And how many times have you resented his interference in your life? You've resented him saying to you, hey, I know, um, I know you've given me ability to make money, but don't tell me to give my money away and be a generous person, God. God, I, I had to lie. I had to lie. I couldn't deal with that conflict, so I needed to lie. Of course you want me to be loving and happy. That's why I'm going to this other person. He says, look, I... I I've asked you for authority. I've said, I am your authority, and you have rejected it. You have been more sinful than you could possibly imagine. And so when we come to him and say, God, I deserve a comfortable life, he says, wait a second. What what have you done for me? I've, I've given you these principles and this structure in your life, and you have outright out, I mean, in in every overt way, rejected what I have asked of you. And you say, you still look at suffering and pain and you say, you owe me a comfortable life. Tell me how I can figure out why I'm suffering or why they're suffering in my life. I can't stand this, God. I want to get it out of my life. And he's like, oh, let's, let, let, let us, let's look at this. Because what Jesus says in this passage is this, is the relationship of sinful behavior to suffering is a very complex one. It's not a simplistic one. It's not an easy, easy question. Because when you look at the Bible, and this is, this is critical to understanding this. The Bible says suffering does come from sin. But it comes from sin generally. And by that I mean original sin, Genesis 3. So from original sin, general original sin, all suffering comes from that. Because we know death came from that and pain and disease that came from that. But all suffering in your life is never, right, it's never from sin in particular. You know, we make these crazy connections sometimes. And sin and hurt and pain come from general sin, yes, man or Adam. We are all, you know, in the posterity of Adam. Therefore, he was our federal head. And we are all struggling with the effects of sin in our lives. The effects on our brains, on our bodies, and we deal with it every single day. But not necessarily in particular, in in these particular sins. And so when we begin to make these unnecessary uh, connections, um, we begin to make things very, very simplistic. Because we want to know cause and effect, direct cause and effect for this, for that. And we don't get direct cause and effect. We can't understand that. God does not reveal that. But we do know generally, hey, all sin and suffering come from, Bill, uh, from big, general, original sin. Now, there's a balance in this. And I want to take us to, back to the book of Job. 
Now, do you know who Job is? Job is this guy in the Bible who um, received all kinds of suffering in his life. And God says, um, when this happens, during the book, God, uh, or God allows Satan to kind of uh, smite him with all kinds of suffering. What was Job's response? Job says, I'm angry. I'm angry at you, God. So he takes, he takes the anger track. He says, I've lived a good life, and there's no reason why I deserve suffering at all. And then the scene changes to his buddies. And this is uh, three guys, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Three options we had instead of Frankie and Jake, but we went Frankie and Jake instead of those guys, which, yeah, good old Bildad, <laughs> Bildad Taylor. Uh, yeah. Um, and what they do is they say, uh, they say, God, uh, God, Job, God wouldn't be punishing you unless you had done something wrong. That's what his buddies say. You've done something wrong, Job. And if you would just look at us, we have healthy lives. We have money. We have families. We have our health. We're living righteously. So you, Job, you must be sinning. And so when God shows up at the end of the book, what does he do? He slams both of them, right? He slams the anger track and he slams the guilt track. I'm wondering which track you normally take. Are you mad at everybody else? Man, it's easy to do that. If they wouldn't have done that, if she wouldn't have said that, if this wouldn't have been a da na ba na or I, I just mess things up. That's whatever happens, whenever, whatever situation I go to, man, it's either my selfishness or I'm kind of passive. I don't have any passion and there's sin in that. Whenever I go, I mess things up. No, I mean, I, it's like my presence, I, you know, I enter into relationships, I enter into a room and just things get worse. And God says, no, no, look, um, it's, it's neither one of those. Because on the one hand, he slams the anger track by saying this. He says, never, ever, ever say you don't deserve suffering. You can't say that. Never, Christians, say you don't deserve suffering. Because what do we know? All suffering in the world is not by Christ's design. It's not by God's design. That's the world doesn't work properly. Your lives don't work properly. Your hearts don't work properly. Your society doesn't work properly because of what? Because of our, you and I, because of our own self-centeredness. That's what the Bible tells us. That's not God's design. And so we aren't to ever, ever, ever say we don't deserve suffering. And that's hard. He says, look up. Who knows if a tower is falling on you, right? It could. Because essentially you do, you know, the suffering that sin has brought on this world is from you. But on the other hand, he turns to the three boys, the ones who are saying, Job, you must be a sinner, and he blasts them even worse, right? Because the Bible teaches that God is what? God is not up in heaven counting your sins, and you think that many times. That, that God is not saying, oh, I watched you this weekend, and I saw the seven times that you did this. And so I'm going to send seven pieces of suffering into your life. God is not doing that. The reason that's ridiculous is because if God was really paying back us for our sin with suffering, what would be the truth? No one would be in the room. <laughs> we'd, we'd all be done. It would be over if God paid us tit for tat. And so the Christian knows that what? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
And a Christian sits there and he says, if suffering is in my life, it's not because God is punishing me. Why? Because all of the punishment fell upon Jesus, all of it. And God would never take two payments for one debt. God wouldn't do it. He would not punish Jesus for my sin and then punish me for my sin. Do you believe that? That God punished Jesus for your sin and he's not going to punish you again for your sin. But many of us think we, we don't believe in the power of the cross and the punishment that Jesus took for us. We still we think, okay, thank you. May I have another? Thank you. May I have another? I know I deserve it. I know I deserve it. And so a Christian is, a, a Christian is somebody who on the one hand says suffering is in this world because of sin in general. I can never feel sorry for myself. But on the other hand, if I know that there is suffering in my life, he's not punishing me for sin. There's a reason for it. There's a purpose in it. He is teaching me in it. And I realize that he's with me in it. Because we know Jesus hates suffering. God hates pain. It's not in his design. You see, if you forget that suffering is caused by sin in general, then the self-pity and the anger will kill you. The anger track will eat you up. But if you forget on the other hand that God does not punish you for your sins through suffering, but he punishes Jesus, if you forget that, then the guilt track will eat you up. Which one is eating you up right now? Which one have you decided, hey, have you decided, no, it's all them. It's all them. And you don't look at yourself at all. And you become self-righteous. And this is the way it happens. Or have you decided, you know what? You know what, the cross really wasn't good enough. Jesus needs to punish me too, or God needs to punish me alongside of Jesus. He is hammering me, and I deserve it. And man, Jesus didn't take all the punishment. I'm taking it right now. Um, And that's not who Jesus is. But he turns it around. He turns it around in this passage, right? I I mean, what's his answer to it? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. This guy is blind so that I can show my power in his weakness. You are hurting, you are suffering so that when you are dealing, you know, when, when you are there, when you are there with people and their loved ones are dying. And God's power is made manifest in their weakness. When people say things, when, I mean, being in hospital rooms, when I've seen, been with families, and someone is dying, and they are wrecked, and the very same time they say, soli deo gloria. What? I don't know if I could say that if my mom was dying, or dead in a room, and I look up, and there's a pastor and all of a sudden I say, soli deo gloria. And it wasn't fake. It was from his soul. Like in that moment, the power of God and the freedom of God made manifest through the suffering and the hurt in his dying mom. Are you kidding me? That I can literally have a mom, two days before she was supposed to have a C-section, find out that the kid doesn't have a heartbeat. And here comes this child in the St. Joe's little chapel. And they brought the baby in, and I, it took my breath away. And the mom could still look at me and say, I believe in the Lord's plan. What? Like the whole family's literally around there, touching this baby who is not alive, and they can say that stuff. 
That is God's power made manifest in the midst and through suffering. And he wants to take your suffering and the pain that you have in your life. And he says, please do not blame others. And please do not blame yourself. And that's not easy. That is so difficult. But when we learn that, we get off the anger track and we get off the guilt track. And we bring it to Jesus. And we understand suffering is governed by God. But all suffering is there to display and to further the work and the redemptive work of God in our lives, your life will change and my life will change. And we can understand and almost embrace suffering. And I've used it before, but on the 23rd, when I see a young son see his father in a casket in front, right here in this room, and he says, you know what? It was through that. It was through this crazy diagnosis no one saw coming that my dad was humbled And needed the Lord again. And I recognized my weakness. And all of it led me to the Lord. It was redemptive. It was redemptive. And he still lost his dad. It was redemptive. It's not easy. It's it's, it's not simplistic to deal with suffering. But when you can look at it. And you can see God's. God's thread of redemption through it. I mean, imagine you're Joseph in in the book of Genesis. And you've just been accused of sexual assault on Potiphar's wife. That's what you've been accused of. And you're thrown in jail. And you're like, I do not see this. My great-great-grandfather was Abraham. And I know we're supposed to take the promised land... And here we're back in Egypt, and I have no idea what's happening. And there's a famine coming, and all this stuff. What? And, and, and you realize, okay, his brothers, they ultimately come together. These 11 brothers that essentially uh, attempted murder. And, you know, sure, surely G- Joseph is going to pay him back for all they did. And here's what G- Joseph says in the midst of all that suffering and hurt. He said, you meant it for evil, but... God meant it for good. Years and years of senseless suffering, and you meant it for evil, and God meant it for good. All the time that you've had to deal with this, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. The evil, I don't blame God for it at all. I blame, I blame you for it. He governed it. And so here's what I want to challenge us to do. If you want to grow, if you want to grow in this, because I need to grow in this, I don't like looking deeply at this stuff. I want to stay up here, and I feel like I want to stay positive. But when I, that's code for me when I want to deny something's real. When I, hey, I just just want to stay positive. I want to stay up here. I really don't want to look at it. I don't want to dive into that. And that's that's normally code for me is I'm nervous about about going into the slayer. It's kind of like that iceberg, right? And you know like 90% of it's underneath the water, and I don't want to go and deal with that. If, If we really want to grow, if you want to see God develop you in this, I I think we should say this. I don't think we should say, why am I suffering? I think the first step for growth for us is this. Why is this particular hurt or pain, why is this so bad for me? Right? So if you just lost your job 
and you're suffering and you're in pain, I don't think you ask God if you want to grow. God, why are you doing this to me? Why am I suffering? You first ask yourself the question, why does this hurt so bad? Why is this thing right here so bad? Because I think what it will do is you'll be able to see, oh my goodness, that I'm not building my house upon upon the rock of Jesus. I'm building my house upon, man, the job that I have and that paycheck. Because that means I've got a mortgage payment. That means I can do things with my family. And that means I've got a retirement account. I have those things. I mean, the moment I even heard, I sniffed, a, 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 my corporation was downsizing. Once I even sniffed that, I began to have panic attacks again. And I began to have migraine headaches. And I began to stop engaging with my family like I used to. And, and I began to ask God, why am I so, Why are you doing this to me? No, 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 no. God says, don't. That, that's a simple question. The harder but, but better question is, why is this so bad? Have I based my life on this instead of the work of Christ? Have I been so bound and enslaved by this? And I tell you what, when we have jobless free men and women, <laughs> I'm not saying be responsible, don't quit your job. I'm saying if you get laid off, but you're still free when you're laid off, right? When your kids are going through a hard time and you aren't defined by your kid having a hard time as a mom or a dad, where the only thing you can think about is, how do I get my kid, if, if he's been diagnosed with this problem, and I just want to fix it? No, no, no. Yes, that's a problem. And yes, you deal with it. But suffering and pain take on a different understanding. Wait, wait, wait. I can't. No, no. I'm basing my life upon that. I'm saying I'm suffering. But no, no. That has become an idol to me. That's part of the suffering and pain that I'm dealing with. Is I'm, I'm literally bowing down before a human idol. Or a, a, a job that is an idol in my life. And I have to have that for, for me to feel full. And Jesus says, no, 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 look. Let, let, let me use this. Let me use this to, to free you from a job, from a family name, from a certain amount of money you have to have. I, I can free you. Because even though, you know, even though I cured this blind person, even though I freed this blind person, he was still free if he knew me. I mean, he was still free even though he didn't have any, have any sight. You can deal with the hard things in your life if, if you build your house upon me. And then I think what Jesus does here when he takes that mud and that saliva, and he goes, you want hope? Let me show you. I'm going to give you a small picture of where we're headed. We're headed to this place called the new heavens and the new earth. And here's what's going to happen. And this is the hope. This is what can get you through the suffering. Is I'm going to put this mud on this guy's eye. He's going to be able to see. And this is going to be a future picture of what's happening. Because where you're headed, you will never, ever, ever shed a tear. The lion will lay down with the lamb. The kid will play with the cobra. There is no fear, no death, no anything bad, nor evil or suffering. We're going there. And I'm going to show you a little picture of this. And he heals this guy. And the blind was given sight. And if you know that it's going to happen in your life, if you know that is coming, man, I think we can deal and work through hurts and idols in our lives. And our church will grow and we will mature so much faster. But we can stay where we are. We could stay where we are and not deal with these things. But I think freedom and the gospel allows us to not take the guilt track 
and not take the anger track, but take the gospel track. It says, I'm a sinner and I'm responsible for things. However, I will not beat myself up because Jesus took the punishment that I should have received. And I am free. I am what? I am a humble and courageous Christian. I am a quiet yet powerful Christian. I'm a reflective Christian, yet I am confident. That's what he wants, I believe, for our church, um, for our families, for our fathers and mothers. Um, You know, we've got mission that's happening all around us, and um, suffering can sometimes get us off mission. I mean, we have, we just had these, all these little preschoolers here, and we've got all these families that we've been praying for, families that would come and bring their kids to our preschool so we can minister to them and stay on mission and share with them the gospel and for you to meet them and for you to befriend them and get them in your small groups and, and reach out to them with the love of Jesus and, and all the different ways in which we're trying to you know, have youth group and, and have kids town and we've got 200 students coming or kids coming to VBS. We've got all these men's and women's events that we're trying to reach out. And I think a, a theology of suffering, a, a theology of suffering is, is, is a... Is a is an offering to the world. Hey, this, you could see life this way, and you've seen it this way, but if you see it in this Christian way, I, I believe your world will come back together and it will give you hope and not be fatalistic or not be Pollyanna. You don't have to be either one of those, and that's what the gospel has to offer. So where are you this morning? Are you angry? Are you guilty? Jesus says, no, you don't have to be either one of those. Get on the gospel track, Right? Let's be free to be honest and hopeful. Let's pray. God, thank you for um, this picture of this man who was blind. Um, And thank you for the questions that these disciples asked because I know it diagnoses my heart. Because I know there are certain things I just want to beat myself up for. And I feel like there's certain things that I want to beat others up for. And either one of those... um, they, they, will, they will begin to take hold in my heart and destroy me and, and, and break um, my spirit, God. They will take a, a soft heart and they will turn it to stone and you do the exact opposite. So God, in whatever area of pain and suffering, maybe it's a loved one who died or is dying and there's someone in this room right now who's just mad, just straight up mad. God, maybe there's something, some type of affliction or some type of consequence because of um, various conditions and people are just beating themselves up right now. And they feel like they need to do that and they, they like actually beating themselves up. That's the way they feel better about things. Remind them that you took all your wrath out on your very son for us and you are not up there counting our sins. Thank you for that truth. God, this is a tough balance Teach us how to do it well in your name.